The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. But let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Keshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. And now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm Eric Goldbranson, and with me on this wild TARDIS ride around the Hooniverse, uh, in a completely random order, are my co-hosts and friends, Asad Keski and uh, Matthew Kressel. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. Yeah, could be better, could be worse. <laughs> good. <laughs> What's new with you guys? Anything new in the world of Who that, uh, I mean, besides the obvious, I think we'll take about five minutes here and and touch on Flux in a second, but uh, what a... Uh, what have you guys been up to? It's um, uh, just uh, looking forward to Chicago TARDIS. Uh, got my ribbons ready, and um, yeah, just uh, waiting for that. Uh, looking forward to Chicago TARDIS as well. Unfortunately, I messed around and uh, completely ran out of time to order ribbons, so I shall have no ribbons this year, for better or worse. Wow. Um, this is probably the first time that I've actually been on the ball, so <laughs> about getting them. So. Uh, we, you live and learn, I suppose. Um, the only really exciting Who development I've got at the moment is, after ages of watching eBay auctions, I finally have a past Doctor adventure I've been trying to track down called The Indestructible Man, mm. uh, which is uh, mm. supposed to be a second Doctor slash uh, official, unofficial Jerry Anderson crossover. Ah, so okay. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to giving it a read. It's taken me forever and a day to get it, but I finally have it. <laughs> yeah. I saw your elated post on, uh, on Facebook the other day about that book. So that's all. you'll have to let us know if it's a, uh, everything you hoped it would be. Yes. <laughs> Cause those could go either way sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, sure. So I'm also, yeah, very much looking forward to Chicago TARDIS. Just, uh, saw the kind of panel schedule and stuff the other day and it looks actually it's not actually like it's it's exciting every year but it looks like a good uh good uh chunk of programming that is uh interesting so um yeah it's gonna be a good time it's also gonna be my like big first public outing really <laughs> like i haven't been to <laughs> like since since 2019 really i guess i was at a concert yeah. in early 2020 and in, in early March, but that was the last public thing I've really done. So besides, you know, grocery shopping, but <laughs> so. good way to get back into it. Yeah. Indeed. yeah. And now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. 
With the popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Enjoy your travels. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. I wanted to take a couple minutes before we get to our uh, the show that we're going to talk about this evening and kind of check in since we have new who on the on the air right now and we're two episodes into the six episode series called Doctor Who Flux. Um, take like uh, five minutes and talk about it briefly, kind of a no spoilers if possible. Um, although I assume most people who would be listening to the podcast are probably well and caught up by now, but. Right. Um, how are you guys liking it? Any thoughts? So. I, I mean, it's it. I guess I, it's. I'm finding it okay. I guess it's fine. It's a little, in some ways, it's a little difficult to judge because the story is a lot of the story elements are kind of dripping and dropping mm-hmm. in. Um, so, um, the, and special effects are, have been pretty, quite uh, good uh, again. Yeah. Seems to be some, some elements seem to have done a bit of a quantum jump, which is always a nice thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, narratively, it's it's still, I guess, a little hard for me to say. I've had issues with the main, I guess, each episode, st- main storyline, so to speak, although I don't even know whether that the, whether those storylines will continue into the next episodes or not. So. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been enjoying it uh, so far. I mean, I, to be fair, I, I've 
I've not had the issues with the chimneyer. I think some that a lot of people have had, or certainly uh, the more noisier sections of Doctor Who fandom online have had. So you know, I, I've liked it for the most part up to this point, anyways. But I've, I've really kind of enjoyed this one, War of the Santarans, which is the most recent one that's aired. I think I, you know, could very well be my new favorite Jodie Whittaker era episode. It's just uh-huh. it, yeah. it kind of everything kind of lined up kind of neatly within it. It's also nice. You know, even though I'm the first person to say that, you know, the people people who get mad at Stephen Moffat and say he made the Santarans comedic, I think are missing half the point of them because there's always been a comedic edge to them anyway. But it was nice to see them portrayed as kind of a proper Doctor Who villain and threat mm-hmm. um, again. It, it actually properly militaristic because even when they did the two-parter in series four, you know, they weren't... I. I didn't find them that threatening or that militaristic. So it was nice to see them actually portrayed that way for a change. But as Assad was saying, you know, we're, we're, you know, a quarter, no third, excuse me. Math was never my strong suit. Uh, We're, (laughs) we're a third of the way through the story at this point. So it's kind of hard to judge where we are in terms of plots and stuff. And there's clearly threads that have been put down that we don't, we haven't picked up yet or know exactly what's going to happen with them. Um, there's one involving Liverpool in the past in particular that just keeps wandering in and out. And you're like, well, where is what? Yeah. <laughs> um, where does that fit in anywhere? Yeah. So yeah. maybe what, maybe in four episodes time, we'll, we'll know more. Uh, we can judge it better by that point, but it's, it's been an interesting ride so far. So, you know, it's, it's nice to have something to look forward to, to watch on Sunday nights again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, Kind of so the, same... the Santarans seem to have gone to the Stormtroopers school of accuracy, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you say that, but as, as people on Twitter have been posting that clip from the TARDIS pool from Invasion of Time with, you know, leaping over the chairs and not being able to get Android. So, you know, it, it's perfectly in keeping with the Santarans, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Matthew. I've been pretty um, pleasantly... I wouldn't mean, say pleasantly surprised because I, I I as well have not had a major issue with the Chibnall although I will say that it took a little of the wind out of my sails and not because I haven't enjoyed it, but I just wasn't feeling that like excitement. And um, it was hard for me to get super jazzed about it coming back in this kind of six episode, one story format. I was a little almost, I guess I wouldn't call it nervous, but a little apprehensive about what exactly that was going to entail. And I really thought that first episode knocked it out of the park. Um, narrative wise, I'm I I understand the concerns. Like I'm not sure what I think either, because there's just so many threads and it's all over the place. But it was exciting, it was fast-paced. I thought the the writing was really um punchy, like it punched up a bit, and it just it just seemed more like what I expected out of an episode of like new Doctor Who than than we then there was a couple uh in the last couple series, but I don't know, it came with a big like um like they they just kicked it up a notch production value wise and just just kind of a different type of story than we've been used to seeing in this era so uh that was exciting to me i instantly liked the chemistry better um and not that i disliked ryan and graham as characters in fact i liked graham quite a bit as a character but the uh with the doctor and yaz being just you know doctor companion like i thought right away the chemistry was better with them uh yaz all of a sudden is you know has some stuff to do. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah. So I, I, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I agree, um, about the depiction of the Santarans, but, uh, also what I think has taken a nice, like 
slice out of classic who and, and is the uh the special effects in in it have a nice like vintagey sci-fi feel to them they've kind of made the santarans look like classic series santarans more mm -hmm. than they do look like you know like the the ones from the davies and moffat era of new who um so yeah i don't know there's something kind of vintage there's a vintage vibe to it too that i'm really digging so i don't know two episodes in it's hard to say i'm not gonna um make any like determinations yet but i've been enjoying what i've seen so far I definitely, yeah, I definitely do enjoy the slight Sontaran uh, appearance mm -hmm. adjustments. So yeah. terrible dentition, though. They need to. Uh, <laughs> they need dentists I mean, on Sontar. Do, yeah. Do, do they live long enough to ever have to worry about that? Is the question. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, we'll check in again. We'll probably be all the way through by the next time we. Because it's a mm -hmm. short series, only six episodes. Uh, by the next time we talk or have or record a podcast, we'll probably um, be all the way through. So we'll check in again and see our, you know, impressions right. of it at that point. So we'll see if he can, uh, <laughs> you know, Chibnall can give us a whole all of these threads, bring them together in a satisfying way. It, it seems like a major feat. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, uh, what we're here to do. Uh, is talk about that all-time classic fan favorite episode of Doctor Who, and that is uh, Series 2's Love and Monsters. You know, when you're a kid, they tell you it's all grow up, get a job, get married, get a house, have a kid, and that's it. The truth is the world is so much stranger than that. So much darker. So much madder. And so much better. Lights! I am your salvation. His name is the Doctor. Doctor what? Find me that girl! One step closer to catching the Doctor. Written by Russell Davies and directed by Dan Zeff, starring uh, David Tennant as the 10th Doctor, Billy Piper as Rose Tyler, who both barely appear in the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, Love and Monsters. It's kind of the new series equivalent of the twin dilemma in many ways, or at least the way it's kind of <laughs> talked about in fan circles. I think there are uh, far they... more defenders of Love and Monsters <laughs> than there are of the twin dilemma. There well, truly I was are. about to say, I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, I'm trying to think of a story. I think the Brits would call it a Marmite story. <laughs> um, because appropriately for a story called Love and Monsters, this is one that people either love or they hate. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure there's a story that is as that in classic who that is as divisive, I think, as this one is. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's um, properly starring uh, Mark Warren as Elton Pope, uh, Shirley Henderson as Ursula Blake, and Peter Kay as uh, Victor Kennedy and the Absorbaloff, which is the monster that. Uh, has become one of the most infamous creations of uh, <laughs> in Doctor Who history. Um, this uh, gets you a quick, super quick synopsis. Uh, an ordinary man becomes obsessed with the 10th Doctor and Rose Tyler and uncovers a world of living nightmares. Um, 
that's a super brief. Uh, basically, this character that we meet right away doing kind of a video blog um, retelling of his experiences with the doctor. Um, he is uh, Elton Pope, who we kind of follow through his retell or recanting of his own experiences uh, of meeting a group of fellow Doctor Who fans, uh, <laughs> people who follow the Doctor, look for evidence of this, you know, uh, mysterious wanderer, and uh, end up kind of forming a a social club more than uh, a serious inquiry. Uh, or serious detective agency uh, called Linda, which stands for London Investigation N <laughs> Detective <laughs> Agency. And you know, as, like uh, Elton fish and chips. It, fish and, and chips roll. and rock and roll, right. Um, yeah, so that they just end up forming this kind of tight-knit um, little group of, of friends that uh, the doctor brings them together, but they kind of find each other. They're each, each in their own way, kind of a bit of, of misfits, I think, that find each other. And it's a nice little, like, depiction of uh, of fandom like of, of doctor who or any you know sci-fi fandom and it is of course ruined by <laughs> the uh toxic fan showing up and not liking how lightly everybody's taking this uh, serious subject matter and you know shaping things up and actually ends up being an alien creature who absorbs people etc uh, etc et so um a couple of trivia things and i um don't know um a lot of people i think are fairly aware of things that uh of these things but love and monster was a the 10th episode of series two of doctor who from a production standpoint this was the first episode of the show to do a uh, a production process called double banking so they were shooting this show and another episode simultaneously causing um meaning that one of the scripts had to not feature the doctor and his companion uh something they would go on to do in subsequent series of the show and uh was dubbed by fandom to be uh doctor light and or companion light episodes other examples of this are uh from the following season are um midnight which is a, a companion light episode and um turn left which is a doctor light episode in the, the following season um so yeah, basically what that means is the script is the script was developed to not really feature the Doctor only in the beginning and the end of the and uh, kind of develop some different characters because of the episode's Doctor light nature. It uh, became the the first episode of Doctor Who to ever feature the perspective of bystanders or like the people the Doctor affects in these like quick instantaneous uh, you know. Um, encounters they have with him and then he runs off and jumps back in the TARDIS and off to whatever adventures he has and these are the people that are kind of left um, you know, behind as uh, you know Jackie Tyler will put it in this episode um, also it has a short tar a, a, a TARDISode the 10th TARDISode which were uh, short um, scenes that were um, used as promotional pieces and usually can be found on the special features of DVDs. There is a prologue Tardisode for this that shows a secretary falling victim to the Azorbalov uh, creature, although you never see him on camera, just hear his voice and his awkward breathing during it, if you've ever seen that. So, okay, so Love and Monsters. Um, I feel like this one is one that its reputation is kind of precedes it. And when you sit down and like really break down um, the episode, 
I feel like this is a situation where a lot of things in this work really well. This is a, gr a great, it has a ground or a foundation and a really like good idea or a cool idea for a Doctor Who episode. And it is totally, um, 80% of this really works for me. And then the 20, the other 20% doesn't, but the other 20% is so bad that it really throws the, <laughs> like throws it off. So what are you guys' impressions or memories of uh, Love and Monsters? Like, I, don't... I think, I think I pretty much feel the same that it's like 75 to 80% is really great. And then, but what's not great really is really, really not great. <laughs> so, and I was, um, you know, the memory cheats, but in this case, the same things that bothered me the first time I saw it um, pretty much bothered me again, although I had not seen it since uh, it was originally broadcast. So it's nice to see that I wasn't just like uh, living in some strange fantasy of not, uh, I mean, and yeah, I, I certainly don't hate it. It's certainly far from the worst episode of Doctor Whoever, but it has uh, <laughs> several very problematic um, elements in it which is unfortunate because usually these sort of episodes where they're not focusing on the main characters are like catnip to me so mm -hmm. like uh, russell davies brought up um, the lower decks episode of next generation and i would also maybe think about like um from stargate the other guys episode um mm. so so yeah usually these uh i'm really i really enjoy these uh sort of little diversion from the main characters things yeah i mean it's got a it's got a really interesting idea at sort of the bottom of it and sort of i think it's it's one of those ideas that kind of starts coming to the fore in the wilderness era both in the idea of doing dr light stories because something the virgin new adventures does two or three times particularly i think it's birthright and also eternity weeps which is uh, eternity weeps is interesting because it's entirely told from bernie summerfield and her husband's perspective um also, who killed Kennedy, funnily enough, um, which is a virgin book that doesn't fit into either range, but it's another one of those bystander perspectives on late Trout and uh, early Pertwee. And the first time I saw this was 2007. It was right after I got into Who, and it was when Sci-Fi still had the rights, and they would rerun first and second season episodes during the daytime marathons, which, having just graduated from high school, I was home you know, during the day and had nothing else to do, so I would watch them. And I remember it was the first time I'd watched an episode of Modern Who and kind of went, what? <laughs> um, and I've just, I don't know if I'd necessarily say I've avoided it like the plague, but it's not one I frequently come back to unless I'm doing rewatches or something like the podcast here. Um, and I've, I still come back to it feeling a lot of the same ways that I did in 2007, that there's some really good ideas here and mm -hmm. a really solid foundation. But... There's parts of it which, at least at the time I first saw it, struck me as a bit mean-spirited about fandom, which I don't necessarily, mm -hmm. which I think in retrospect I took a bit, I think I took more harshly than they were meant to be. But there's big chunks of it that just don't work, uh, yeah. especially that last 10 or 15 minutes when the whole thing just goes to goes to pot. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a weird one because the part of the reason this episode even exists is because of god help us blue peter yes um <laughs> no no offense to our to our uk listeners because i'm sure blue you know blue peter is a national institution almost on the order of doctor who um but you do have to wonder what somebody was thinking sitting in the production office saying we're gonna let a kid enter a blue peter competition and we're going to base a whole episode around a monster they've designed because it in I, I can't believe that 
and I, you know, hindsight is 2020 after all, but I can't believe that nobody was sitting there at the time going, this could go so wrong. Well, and I think it was problematic even from the like pre-production aspects of it because they had written, I mean, Russell Davies, this is an idea that he had been kind of, um, playing with since he initially conceived it as an idea for a a comic strip um, and just a a story about a person who was obsessed with the doctor and the doctor kept kind of like coincidentally coming in and out of their life. And he had kind of like grown this thing up into an episode and they just kind of said, well, Hey, we have this idea to do this competition with blue Peter. Do you have anything that'll work with? And he went, well, I don't have a specific monster for this thing. So let's just kind of drop it into this episode. And I think that's where it starts to go wrong because this is a very, very, I mean, at least I feel like it's a very, very clever piece of writing up until a point. And then you just take any random monster. And unfortunately, and it's, it's not the fault of William Grantham, the nine-year-old kid who, who won the contest, who designed the Absorbaloff monster. Um, you know, that's, that's all great, great work on, on his part. I think it, nothing. Well, and also which he, he, he intended it to be the size of, he just says as a double decker bus, oh, right. yeah. not, not, yep. <laughs> not Peter K running around. <laughs> Yeah. That would have been much scarier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, a, in a totally different episode, this creation works just fine. It is just wholly inappropriate for this episode. So when you all of a sudden they drop this monster in and and a lot of it has to do, it starts to fall apart when Victor Kennedy, the character, is introduced. Because then the logic of the story starts to fall to pieces. Um, I think that's, uh, and a lot of it in in... I don't know. This is just a personal preference, but this, this, everything about what Peter K does with both versions of these characters, I do not care for. Like his performance, in this is just, mm-hmm. just terrible, and one of one of my least favorite in Modern Who. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't know Peter K as a comedian. I know he's a stand-up comic. I know he's a, a television personality and writer. Um, I've not seen or experience anything else so i don't have any i don't have anything else to go on except for this this episode of doctor who but um yeah i feel like it just really does a 180 on you i feel like the the first half of this thing is solid and like great in a lot of ways like it's it's um i mean besides the uh benny hill style chase sequence at the beginning that's really got off oh the scooby-doo thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) it makes sense though within the narrative with elton being like semi only a semi-reliable narrator yeah yeah and i can and i can take so (laughs) and uh, i think well apparently i guess peter k himself was uh, pretty unhappy with the way the episode ended up even though yeah he had pushed to be in Doctor Who, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, wa- he wanted to play Elton. <laughs> yeah, well, no. he was offered Elton, and he what had <laughs> happened apparently, and I don't know Coronation Street at all, but he'd apparently played a similar yeah. character to Elton in Coronation Street, and said he didn't want to do that again. And on and looking just at the script and what was on the page, thought that the Victor Kennedy character was was more interesting, right. and that was what he wanted to go for. Though I did find an interview with him that's linked up on the episode's Wikipedia page where. I I think he described it as the single biggest regret of his career (laughs) having done it because as he put it, he said it read brilliantly, but I ended up as a guy in a big green scoot running through Cardiff. And you're like, really, this is it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I misspoke. I meant to say he was offered out, not that he wanted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we should, we should also mention as well that 
and this is, I think, going back to what I was saying earlier about the kind of some of this coming across somewhat mean spirited. You know, Victor Kennedy is based on one very particular big name right. in British Doctor Who fandom, right. who had made himself a bit of a nuisance to to Russell T Davies. So this this was a bit of revenge on Russell T Davies' part, yeah. and I not that I can blame you know RTD for what he did because having watched some of said fans interactions on Facebook and Twitter with people, I can totally understand it. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I almost think that the big mistake of this episode is they decided to feature him as an alien at all. Right. I think if he had just been the kind of toxic obsessed person that he appears to be to begin with, it would have been a lot more interesting because you could have had the positive side and the dark side of people who are interested, who people who get fascinated by the doctor. It's like people who get interested in, in any subject, whether it's, you know, right. doctor who historical reenactment. I don't cheese. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. you know, there's always that stuff. one person who's, you know, intense, taking things intensely and wants to define what fandom is for everybody else in the room. Uh, yeah. I think I've, I think this has been the, I don't know if Russell T. Davies still does that, but I know that in the beginning, I think one of his quotes used to be that I don't want to write for people who want to see like what life is like on the planet Zog. I want them to see, you know, what human things are like when humans are like when they put in that situation. Mm. So, I mean, it's again, that seems a little bit like running down elements of fandom. I think you can have mm. both. You can have planet Zog and a nice uh, human interest story it's the nice thing about a sci-fi <laughs> show like that you can have both of those episodes or both right. of those even concurrently you can have both of those things going on so i mean if yeah. anything it's probably also a little rich for russell t david to say that i mean his initial draft included like elements from terror of the autons and the loch ness monster <laughs> yeah <laughs> wisely he decided to stick with things that the current audience that were more familiar with but yeah <laughs> See, I would have. I, 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 that's my one of my big regrets about this episode is the fact he didn't do any of that because mm. I feel like they were starting this season, having brought the show back, the previous one. They were starting to put those egg, Easter eggs back in for classic fans and starting to tie it back into classic coup. And this might have been a perfect place to kind of go, not necessarily you know all in with it, yeah. but you where you could have seeded some of that stuff in more. Um, yeah, even if it was just mentioned in passing, I think it would have been a fun little Easter egg to have yeah. in there. You know, you wouldn't even necessarily have to see the, yeah. the you know, stock footage or anything or a recreation of it or anything. Just, right. you know, have it there. Yeah. So they yeah. seemed a little hesitant at first to do that. By the time he finishes up, so. you know, in Very later so. series, they're dropping all kinds of stuff. But then, yeah, yeah, they were certainly hesitant at first. Yeah, yeah. By the time Stephen Moffat was there, you had all those doctors running around. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Moffat would... <laughs> seemed to either, either, I don't know if it was his preference or if it was the BBC had loosened up and just kind of like loosened the reins on them a bit. But like he, he seemed to certainly have a lot more, a lot higher tolerance for, you know, fan service than. <laughs> yeah, I will say but, as a slight digression, maybe that I think this is something that has brought Doctor Who down sometimes that they insist on having a monster, even where that's not really necessary. I mean, you've yeah. got one here. Yeah. You've certainly got Caves of Androzani. And I think uh, Vincent and the Doctor would have worked. They could have done it without yeah. necessarily having to throw in an alien monster. Agreed. Yeah. 
I think these are three things that come to mind. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, Rosa going back to the Chibnall era was apparently that's the the big rumor anyways, is it was supposed to be a pure historical. It was Chibnall was going to do the experiment and somebody higher up above him at the BBC went, it's Doctor Who, you've got to feature a sci-fi villain or something. So they throw (laughs) in random dude from right. the future and it's yeah. like why are you why are you here why space, are you interested space racist that's yes. what i've seen him future space to. racist yeah, <laughs> yeah. so which yeah. i didn't totally i still really enjoy that episode but yeah i see oh, your yeah. point like it's it's um yeah only it's in the earliest enough setup it, yeah <laughs> without only in the earliest in. incarnations of the show <laughs> did they have these types of episodes that didn't feel like it was necessary to you know the pure historicals right. and i I thought that was the one thing I felt like Chibnall really hit on in that first series is that, and unfortunately he wasn't able to do a pure historical, but he certainly brought the spirit of the historical back in his historicals. Um, It was a little more, a little less uh, stunt casting and more like uh, not stunt casting, but you know, like um, celebrity um, appearances by famous historical celebrities and such. (laughs) And it, it actually like had something to say and, uh, put them in a historical situation that was very real and and scary for its own reasons. Yeah. Um, anyway, jumping back to kind of what we were talking about about fandom and, and kind of what Victor Kennedy represents. Do you do you guys feel like this watched or like you felt any differently watching this uh, as a as a modern fan, kind of looking at the backlash and some of the toxicity around you know Jodie Whittaker's casting and the Chibnall era? Does does the, Victor Kennedy as a character, and we all we all know, and I won't say a name either, but we all know who it's based on. Kind of um, does that what may have seemed? I I, I kind of uh, picking out for something you said, Matthew, is that uh, it seemed very extreme to you when you watched it. Does it seem as extreme now? Because we've seen all of this kind of like blow open. <laughs> You know, that was that was the big surprise watching it again last night was that it didn't I because I my memories was was being quite taken aback by some of the depictions and the way that some of the choices were made uh, the same way that I was when Rob Sherman did his unbound story with uh, Derek Jacobi's would be Doctor Who writer tearing into tearing into some poor guy interviewing him. And it's like, why are you insulting the person who just, you know, who's sitting here watching slash listening to this? Watching it today, um, it, it feels very different, and it, particularly that Victor Kennedy is just kind of this wonderful embodiment. Well, Victor Kennedy's not so as you know, more so than the Absorbaloff, but that's a whole different story. Uh, <laughs> it's this kind of wonderful kind of metaphor for kind of the, the toxic side of fandom. I think when I first watched it in 2007, I, I really wasn't involved with the fandom and really wasn't involved even with the online fandom at that point. I was very much... Right. Uh, uh, my own kind of lonely Whovian Island. Um, so it, I think I hadn't had kind of the experience to kind of look at that situation, to kind of look at it and go, I see, I recognize where this is coming from, which I do now. And I think that that's the part of it that works for me is that, you know, when he's, when it's just him as obsessed human Victor Kennedy, I think it works a lot better. And it, it's, I think it's one of those stories now that's a lot more relevant today than it perhaps was when it aired though you know modern who fandom you know was could be fairly toxic in places too right. you know famously gallifrey base well it wasn't gallifrey base then outpost gallifrey as it was then you know getting shut down every so often because you know people were getting so toxic towards actors mm-hmm. and writers so it is what I, it is yeah i think the only issue where i might disagree with that is that a lot of the toxicity and all is basically a function of 
internet um, interactions, it's yeah. not because somebody in person turns up and because that sort of person would just drive you away. And they don't show him as like charming his way and sort of wheedling his way into it. He's like out there and like literally about ready to hit people. So that's when you just sort of yeah. walk out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in that respect, I, 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 I don't know and if it that's necessarily... One of my big gripes like early on when not early i guess about halfway when victor kennedy shows up is like i don't understand why they're putting up with this right but then I, well, I do see it a little bit in like real life like you know they people are people want to have like that community they they want to welcome everybody in. they welcome the wrong person and i think they do put up with people a little bit too long it, it's 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 getting better now i think people are really more willing to put their foot down but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he's also a fountain of knowledge and information and stuff. And I, I think extending the metaphor about the particular name that he's making fun of, he's got missing bits and pieces from the archives, too, mm -hmm. which which I did definitely didn't catch on when I watched it in 2007. But watching it, watching it last night, I went, aha. Yeah, which, well, I, did, I do think that I recognized in Linda, maybe the more different types of Doctor Who Fans yeah, and the way I thought that, that was yeah. clever. And I didn't notice that Doctor first. <laughs> and this is actually probably the fourth or fifth time I've seen Love and Monsters, which I don't know why I've seen this episode so many times. But, well, I've done two watch throughs of this season uh, in its entirety. So that explains two of them. I know once it came up on like a random, we're going to watch Doctor Who, what should we watch? And we used like probably an early version of what I'm using to do like randomization for this uh, podcast. But um, and it pulled up this episode this has got to be at least the fourth time I've seen it. So I don't know why I've seen it so many times because it's not a favorite, but um, it, oh, I don't even remember where I was going with all that, but oh yeah, no, I, this is the first time I noticed uh, that each of these people is kind of a different type of, you know, Dr. Who fan or, or fan in general. It'll just, mm. there's the one that, you know, is expressing their fandom through the art that they're creating. And there's the, you know um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that's all the stuff for me that works really well. Uh, and and, and there, there's one other thing I want to touch on, but yeah, I, I, I agree that it is um, a very interesting piece of writing when it comes to its criticism of fandom. And, and I think it's fair criticism. Like it's, it's, it's pointing out a lot of the goods about it, the community and like all the like good things that you can get out of it, but it's also showing kind of the bad things and the way that Kennedy changes Linda is a big piece of that like commentary i think of what russell davies saw probably happening at the time in the fandom when he was you know writing this so um but the way kennedy comes in and changes all of them and gives them you know tells them exactly how they're supposed to be doing this and that they're doing they're doing it wrong and they've uh they need to get serious and um it turns elton into you know to do some things that he probably wouldn't have done right. and uh yeah, I mean, he never never really crosses any lines and he snaps out of it and, and you know, become, you know, um, he snaps out of it and eventually, like, comes forward right. to Jackie and says, hey, I'm sorry, this is what's actually going on. But, um, yeah. yeah. Little late. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other, that leads nicely into, that's the other big thing I wanted to talk about. And the other, the thing that I think is, the most genius about this episode, I like the fandom stuff, but the most genius thing about this episode was that premise. That first thing that Russell Davies came up with for that comic strip is that um, we see the doctor and we're always following the doctor and the companion through all these adventures. We focus on the TARDIS crew and their, their comings and goings, but we always get these people 
uh, these kind of, you know, single episode characters or these people that are just bystanders, literally, to uh, all of these, you know, events. And um, what effect does, you know, you know, either just witnessing something otherworldly or, um, you know, the the doctor's presence have on on them and their lives so and then bringing jackie tyler into it rose's mother is i think an even better way to kind of put forward the idea of like what are the effects that the doctor has on people and not just the people that travel with him but especially the people that don't and um so yeah bringing jackie into the story because you have elton you have linda the group um who are you know, Doctor Who obsessives or, or Doctor obsessives, I should say, um, kind of following this, following, trying to follow and, and figure out who this person is and uh, find the Doctor. Uh, you have Jackie who knows all about the Doctor, but is, uh, you know, has been kind of left out of right um, all of the excitement. They even took away her mate Mickey. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, this I, was. I was just saying this was one of the few times that I've actually liked Jackie because she's written as a character rather than a caricature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, she starts off as her usual uh, (laughs) Jackie antics, but uh, they show her with a little more depth, which which she didn't often get to show. Yeah, actually, I I mean, she's she's got more screen time in this than the doctor or Rose has, um, which I think (laughs) has a big is a big part of that, too. But it's it's the thing that you can do as we've seen subsequently with these kind of doctor-like companion-like stories, you get the opportunity to focus on what is it like to live in this world, you know, where you're not traveling around time and space in a blue box, but you have to deal with all the consequences of it as well. Yeah. And I think um, this is probably my favorite uh, Jackie episode. I mean, not in most of the other episodes, she's there for either a laugh or, um, to be kind of the foil to the doctor and then to kind of bicker at one another. Um, be the play the angry mother, the disapproving mother to the doctor as the you know quote unquote boyfriend boyfriend right. character in the situation. Um, but yeah, no, we get to actually explore Jackie as a character here and Camille Cordry actually gets to do some acting uh, yeah. outside of just yeah her comedy, uh, which is which she's good at, but um, this is a little deeper performance and definitely my favorite Jackie Tyler episode. And I think all that stuff uh, is some of the, among the many strengths of this episode, um, just showing the kind of loneliness and isolation that taking Rose away <laughs> has, has caused right. for her. Yeah. Um, and then for, you know, Elton to be convinced by Kennedy to use this uh, relationship that he just kind of happenstanced into um I don't know. He, 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 it was targeted. He went and found her, but the, um, but just to kind of weasel his way into her trust and to try and find some information. And Elton eventually figures out like, Hey, you know, this is, this isn't right. I can't do this to this person. She's, she's sad. She's lonely. So she's missed, doesn't have any, anyone to kind of like, yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it's a really honest and, and, interesting performance and i think it's done the most genius thing is because i think every russell davies as a writer knows exactly how you feel about jackie because that he's written her that way and that developed her that way and then he kind of flips that like oh but there's this whole other side you're not seeing and here it is and yeah it's it really rounds her out nicely and it it 
it flushes this episode out. I think without that, it's it's yeah. nothing. Yeah. That's its major strength. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean that kind of what distinguishes her from because I think, uh, of course, I could be remembering wrong, but I think uh, most of Russell Davies' parents, from uh, Martha's parents and um, Donna's mother, they are all kind of seem to be cut from much the same cloth of yeah. disapproval and mm. you know not not quite as cougary as. Uh, Jackie is, but <laughs> yeah, but they're all the same kind of like you know, don't run yeah. off with that. They're just dis- it's disapproving parents, the parents that disapprove of the the boyfriend they don't understand kind of situation. So yeah, but what's what separates Jackie from that, and this is the, the thing that I, I I don't think I caught on to when I first watched it, but I definitely did this time. Is there's an interesting character arc with her because you know you think about her in series one with Eccleston, you know, literally slapping him at one point and calling the authorities in on him. And here's somebody who wants to know something about the doctor, and she basically says, "I would give my life to protect this man and my daughter." Mm-hmm. You know, get out. Um, that's a you know that 180 kind of direction change that she takes is I think it's an interesting decision as well by Davies in this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So she benefits from having an episode where she's not just playing off the Doctor. Yes. Right. So I what I will say that one thought that I was wondering that between Clive and Linda, I wonder how many other little groups of Doctor investigators there are all over yeah. the world or the <laughs> UK at least. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something you could uh, you could probably still do. I don't know if I'd want to see another television episode dedicated to it, but you certainly could write something interesting about. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's other groups out there looking for the doctor, right? That's, uh, yeah. Well, we know that the, apparently Linda's run into uh, past doctors as well because of the fifth doctor's line in Time Crash about asking the 10th doctor, are you a fan? He goes, are you one of those Linda people? Oh, right. So that was a... <laughs> That was a nice sort of Moffat throwing that reference in there, which makes you wonder, you know, something Big Finish could pick up and run with, I suppose. Oh, really uh, it'd be fun just to have somebody from Linda show up for a moment in a Fifth Doctor story, just to have that moment occur. But <laughs> uh, Or even have them in there jamming with their band, their cover band that they put together for. Yeah, see, even stuff like that, it just something I was going to bring up is like, there's some yeah. wonderful little like light moments in this that are... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just the Elton's massive ELO fandom and uh, the band they kind of put together, yeah. and the yeah. It's... I mean, that's probably. I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that was one of the high points of the episode, where everybody yeah. you know is just mm-hmm. their other interests start uh, interlocking, and they're all just having a um, good time. Yep. Although that was a bit of a downer. I forget the the woman who's uh, Bridget. Yeah, her her story was like surprisingly grim in the middle of the yeah <laughs> that section of the episode. The, she's looking <laughs> for she's she came to London looking for her daughter who was yeah. addicted to drugs and disappeared. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but she and, and I guess the saddest thing about that whole situation is she has this very sad backstory, and then she's finally finding some happiness, and and her right. and Mr. Mr. Skinner are right. have a budding relationship going on, and then she. You know, they get absorbed into the absorbaloff. And unfortunately, the way that it resolves at the end, it leaves them all in, you know, a pile of melted goo, except right. for Ursula, which is one of yeah. my least favorite things about the episode. Yeah. Is that they did all of that just to get a, <laughs> a bad joke out of it, it seems like. But 
Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, talking about all that, that's one of my big problems with this. And it's, it's something that annoys, annoys me as a reader, listener, viewer, and now as a writer as well. And it's something that as a writer, I desperately try to avoid doing, which is tonal whiplash. (laughs) And it happens again and again and again across 45 minutes in this, that it, it can't quite decide what it's going to be, even within individual scenes. Because I think if it had started off, you know, it starts off quite serious and moody and whatnot, and then it yeah. jumps into the video blog stuff, and it's like, if it had stayed like that, it would have been fine. Or when it gets into the comedy stuff, if it had gone with that, gone like that, probably wouldn't be my favorite, but I, but I would take it and go with it. It's the fact that it tries to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah. Again and again and again. Yeah. I think mm. is it, it you know ends up being a big part of at least my problem with it is it's just pick a tone and stay with it. It's the same problem I have with uh, Unicorn and the Wasp, which is it can't decide if it wants to pastiche Agatha Christie or if it wants to parody Agatha Christie. You yeah. can do one or the other, but you have to be very skilled to do both. And as much as I admire Russell T. Davies as a writer, uh, particularly these first two seasons of Modern Two are some of my favorite stuff you know from his era. I don't think he quite had the chops to pull it off, at least here. Yeah, this one seems at times to be I mean, you were talking about the kind of the the, the fan depiction as being cruel at points. But I feel like and so it's, it's OK to do something, you know, for, for dramatic effect or to invoke a certain emotion from your viewer slash reader. But um I feel like some of the things that happen here are just deliberately cruel. Like he does it yeah. twice. He does that, the, the uh, Bridget Skinner uh, right. relationship. He gets that, that he tears that away from you. And then of course, uh, Elton just has this epiphany after the whole Jackie confrontation that, Oh wait, like I, all these, everything that's going on, it's, it's all about Ursula, like this whole Linda thing. And like, I, you know, I, I am right. in love with this, this person. And is basic essentially running to tell her this or running to like have this revelation when uh you know they right have this comfort final confrontation yeah. with uh well he tells also, off victor kennedy he tells ursula we're going out for chinese food you know we're, right. we're finally going to go on this date i've been meaning to ask you on forever right. and you this this moment is happening and um yeah. and that's all that's that's a good scene it, it all works out uh yeah but but what he does to the characters and having them all yeah. end the way that they end up just seems needlessly yeah. cruel. And it's like also it's like a just... bizarrely, tastelessly cruel to then have a bliss on uh, the Absorbalov's butt. It's like, yeah. what's the point oh, of God. that yeah. joke? I don't get it. <laughs> that was, yeah, because it's a joke, right? But it's, but, but you're, it's paired with things that are so grim at the same time. Like it's, it's like, I don't feel like laughing at the butt joke at this moment because, you know, in other contexts, maybe that would be funny, but. Yeah, the, you it, know, and it's everything about the absorbable off. The whole idea just seemed so out of place in the script. Like it just doesn't to, to right. get in the last 10 minutes of this. A, you know, as Peter Kay, I guess, put it, a giant green monster, rubber monster running around in the, you know, <laughs> and yeah. his, his performance is just, you know, if the whole episode had gone for that straight comedy, like from the get go. Sure. Maybe it'd be a totally different story, but it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think Davies tries to see that in the whole Scooby-Doo moment and mm-hmm. some of the lighter stuff towards the middle of the episode before Victor Kennedy gets there. I think he tries to see that in. 
but I, I would argue, you know, the middle stuff works, but, you know, for me, the whole Scooby-Doo thing at the beginning is one of those things that even looking at it now, I sort of cringe at it going, what yeah. were you thinking? Um, it, again, it's because, Benny Hill too, right? That's a British institution. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. I, I often say Doctor Who is a show that can do anything, but just because it can doesn't mean that it should. <laughs> or, or maybe this is attempting to do a little bit, a little bit too much at the same time. Like it can yeah. do these two things just fine. It could be, it can be grim and it can be funny, but trying to do them like so much on top of each other without any like rhyme or reason, I don't know. It just yeah. everything. It just Total doesn't whip- mesh. Like, yeah tonal whiplash you know yeah. it's what it happens again and again yeah and honestly even even just a tweak to the ending where and i don't always love doing this but in this case because of, you want it to be a little lighter tone episode like let's let's melt the absorbable off and everybody's fine at the end right why not like that would have been okay like that everybody just comes out covered in goo and like that's 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 that sure. we yeah. get to go on and with it, our lives you know, like <laughs> it could be you know the absorbable off could have been lying just to torment them about the fact that they the process wasn't reversible you know right. or something yep. or they could um, even have like so i don't know for something cliched like the, the stardust d- lights coming out from everyone yeah. and or the doctor and uses the tardis to, to <laughs> reconstruct their bodies from the matter that is still inside of the absorbable off or something along those lines i don't, I don't know you could do yeah. a million things that would make yeah. it Nanogenes, something. <laughs> yeah, I just don't Again, get I why we Russell... didn't leave them that way. We 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 spent the time getting to know the Linda characters, getting invested in their relationships. I know it's not it's one episode, but still, that that's all there for us to. And then he literally is just kind of cruelly rips away all this stuff and like, yeah, I'm just gonna melt them into goo. I'm gonna leave Ursula to be a face on a piece of stone. Like well, it's like Russell Davies. I think I've said it before. He's said it. At least once he said something about like death being a very important part of Doctor Who, or that's a lot of focus on yeah. Of, yeah. of death in Doctor Who. And it fits in with a lot of Elton's lines towards the end of the episode as well about, you know, the doctor's wonderful, but he's terrible. And yeah. I'd love to meet him, but I'd hate to meet him. <laughs> yeah. So I mean my my I think my favorite thing to come out of all this isn't even in the episode itself, but it was uh you know, people, you know, fan theorizing about it. And if you watch that last scene with the block and whatnot, you never actually see Ursula on the tape per se. Right. Everything you see from her is from a different perspective. And somebody did theorize that she's in fact not there and that he's had a mental breakdown or something. And it's sort of, it's it's him, you know, clicking onto it, which given the way that the rest of the episode plays out makes about as much sense as anything else. Right. Sure. <laughs> let's just not think too long about the details of their supposed sexual relationship that they're able to still yeah. maintain. So uh, there's a lot of, once you start thinking about it, it's just so um, terrifying because, you know, this is literally from the ending of the five doctors when yeah. all the immortal time Lords faces come to life on the stone plinth. It's yeah. almost exactly the same effect. Well, she yeah. has the line too about she'll never age. Right. And it's like, it's like does that what? mean that there's this immortal being stuck to a slab of concrete for the rest of the time who's going to watch Elton die and everything else? And it's like, <laughs> and then she's going to be stuck in a closet for the rest of I mean, until the yeah. earth explodes yeah. or I mean, something. It's supposed- there's your next big finish spinoff. You know, <laughs> yeah. Ursula, the stone fit. Yeah. I mean, so it's supposed to be a happy ending, but the more time you sit there and think about it, oh, the God, darker it gets. Awful. It's terrifying. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, not happy at all. I don't think that counts as a happy ending. No. <laughs> Let me say, there's another thing that really bugged me about this episode. And that was, mm. I did not, and maybe I just missed it. I did not quite understand how this thing about Elton's mother fit into it. It's like, did he forget suddenly that until that point that that was the day his mother died? I mean, I mean that's... and secondly, also, I just find it very weird that the implication is that the doctor saw Elton and his mother's dead and he just sort of left. He said, ah, yeah, tough yeah. noodles, kid. Even, even there have been issues of the Batman where Batman has come back to, you know, some kid has seen his parents <laughs> killed or something. He's come back and helped them and provided for them or something. Mm-hmm. But it seems like he just sort of, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good, I mean, good luck, be, kid. <laughs> See, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, to be fair, the way the doctor and Rose both are portrayed in this is very strange. Um, you know, I, I get that it's all from Elton's perspective, and that may be part of it, but the way mm-hmm. they're written and also the way in that last scene that Tennant and Piper play it just feels very strange and off to me. I don't yeah. like as a reviewer, I don't like saying that actors phone in performances. I, you know, I've done it before, and you know, I, I've I've been told off for doing it. And I, and having done really minor acting, I I, I understand that you know even phoned in performances that look fo- you know performances that look phoned in require some thought and effort to go into them. That being said, I genuinely think having watched it again that Tennant and Piper showed up on set got hand and were reading their lines off a cue card because there's that much interest and emotion being put into those parts yeah and they're reading of that half of the scene I think um, more, and again, more likely in that situation it was kind of like directors like okay we got we got two hours to get this go like <laughs> it's, you guys weren't involved with anything else in this episode you're coming in in this context like yeah you're here's the scene He's the giant green man. Yeah. I mean, with Tennant especially, there's no passion. There's no emotion. There's nothing there. It's just, I am reading lines off a cue and I am David Tennant. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he very much does his, you know, I'm the, I'm the 10th doctor thing, but yeah, he doesn't, they also both don't like do anything. There's no, like it, like, I don't know the doctor has besides the the quote unquote rescue of Ursula the doctor has no bearing upon anything that happens including apparently Elton's mother's death so yeah it can't can't affect that in any way can't save any of the Linda people in any way can't it actually makes the doctor look rather impotent enabled like you know unable to like help out in any way and the, the fact that he kind of like saw that as like ooh I could do something I'm going to you know save Ursula and I'm going to drag her back from you know, just her face and she's going to live. And it's like, okay, that's even yeah. that's a questionable decision from the doctor. But yeah, no, I agree. And and Rose's character, even for Rose, seems just intensely cruel here too. Like, I mean, I know Elton, you know, was messing with her mom. I get, I get that. And I know, you know, their relationship and Rose certainly would be, but man, it's, it's intensely. Yeah. I don't know. And then, and then, then she one eighties it and it's like hugging him and crying with right. him at the yeah. end. Yeah. So. Like, I don't know. By that point, it, this episode's gone so far off the rails, it's it's hard to really uh, take too much of it seriously. But but it wants well, you to. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. I will say that. I will say that. Although the last ten minutes of this episode really send it down the down the tubes, but I think the last thirty seconds of it then pick it up again because 
I really liked Elton's speech about that. When you when you're a kid, they tell you about this and that, and <laughs> but life is so. Even if it's sort of a rehash of Rose's speech about chips, but <laughs> yeah, I liked it yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, I there are there are many pieces in this that are that are good, and there's a lot of pieces of good dialogue and good writing. Um, you know, scattered around in here. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not all bad. It's it's just. Um, yeah, just the fact that all of that, like Elton, yeah, Elton's last speech. I feel like it, this, the episode could have ended about two minutes earlier, but but all that stuff is good. Mm. Um, and, but then they end it with the, you know, kind of like really, really uh, trying too hard to make like an adult joke there at the end with the right and yeah, yeah let's not get into yeah. that. That's the, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's yeah. a family friendly show, so I'm not going to like go into detail. But yeah, it just seems like that was the lowest, the, the lowest point of any kind of like go for a laugh I've seen on Doctor Who, I think. But yeah, um. I mean, it's an episode that's got a lot of good parts, but the, the sum of those parts never quite adds up. No. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Does anyone have any other final thoughts on Love and Monsters or should we go ahead and... Uh, grade this thing and uh figure out if the, the fan reputation for this is fair i think we're gonna i think you probably already know where we're gonna land on this but yeah i mean my my only other thought on this is is that you know given that the dr light thing became it has become a tradition for modern who ever since particularly blink coming the following year uh you know it's based around the same idea let's take an average person and throw and see what it's like to be an average person in the doctor who universe and Blink just does the basic idea so much better. And for yeah. that matter, you know, you were talking, Eric, about the way the Doctor's inconsequential to it. You know, you think about Turn Left, which Davies does a couple of years later. Right. It's all about this is what happens when the Doctor's not here. And this is why the Doctor is important. And I right. think that as time's gone on, because I'm not sure what the original reputation of this episode was, because I didn't get, as I said, get involved with the fans until a couple of years on from it. And yeah. by which that and by that point, it was it was already going down the drain. But I think that the passage of time, I think, has just highlighted, you know, the problems with it even further. You know, I think if there had never been another Dr. Light episode, we might be a bit more forgiving to it. But because we've seen the idea done bigger and better. I think it just highlights all the problems even further. Did they really have Dr. Light episodes after Tenant? I can't remember. <laughs> um, that's a, yeah, I think they, there's the, uh, what is it called? The uh, one, um, it's not Amy's choice. The woman who lived uh, yeah. has very little doctor in it. Matt Smith only did like a couple days on it. Um, mm, okay. Closing times, uh, yeah. Companion Closing times, light. companion light. Yep, that was their. I think that was their switch. That was the last. But as far as I can remember, that's the last time they did it. That was the. Let's see. They here. did. The, they double booked those. So, oh, oh, heaven, closing time. Heaven sent. Right. Heaven oh, yeah, sent. Yeah, heaven go. sent. And that's just a Peter there's... Capaldi with somebody and somebody else in a robe. Yep. Yeah, I think <laughs> Kill the Moon to an extent is as well because uh, Capaldi's doctor disappears for a good chunk of the middle of it too. Yeah, um, which was there to give Capaldi so. so I don't think any of them have filming. ever been described as Doctor Light episodes per se. Not like yeah. Blink. Or yeah, they're Turn they're Left not. Or well, yeah, like the <laughs> Love and uh, Monsters, <laughs> Midnight slash Turn Left. Um, 
those are probably the most extreme examples of those because you literally have the doctor leaving Donna behind at the beginning of midnight. You have you know, the doctor does not exist in the context right. of turn left. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So the but I'm yeah, sure, I, I yeah. think to to varying it. But yeah, I, I think they did kind of continue doing those sort of things, writing a story or two into a season where it would give. Now in the Chibnall seasons, I have not seen any. It's like everyone's on all hands on yeah. deck for every episode, essentially. I think the the one exception to that seems to be because of Bradley Walsh's schedule that there are some episodes in, in series 12 where he's not in quite as much or they filmed pickup stuff for him later separately mm. from everybody else so you can if if you know that you can spot it particularly in Spyfall part two when <laughs> no, okay. he, yeah. he's, he's filmed away from everybody else and you can kind of spot where they did it <laughs> yeah but yeah well um it was kind of the start of a tradition, I think, and uh, it is probably um, the the lesser of all of them. Like, but but still the start of a tradition. So it's it hats off for trying something new. But sure, yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, let's go ahead and give this thing a grade, and we're gonna grade it out of five members of Linda. Will be our our grading uh, scale. <laughs> uh, what would you give this out of uh, out of five? Uh, let's start with you, Asad. I think I'll go with the somewhere between a two point five to three. I think I I started thinking maybe it would go with the three point five, but I think I'll have to go a little lower than that. <laughs> that's a that's a, a fairly generous rating, I think. So yeah, but I do think there's I, I'm not not criticizing. There's some very like great stuff that's going on here. Just doesn't quite land at the end. <laughs> yeah, I think the the last ten minutes of this episode could have its own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about you, Matthew? I've, you know, once upon a time, I'd have given it a one, but watching it again, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a, maybe a two, two and a half, because again, there, you know, as we've talked about, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good individual pieces of it, but they never add up to being, a sum that's actually that good and you know whether it's the tonal whiplashes and in individual scenes the kind of the, the kind of cruelty that you talked about earlier or you know god help us the last 10 12 minutes of this thing um you know it just it doesn't add up to being very much unfortunately and parts of it i don't think it's as mean-spirited as i once thought it was but there are parts of it that feel needlessly cruel mm. you know it's going out of its way you know to be cruel for a laugh or whatever but yeah, it, there's, there's, as I said, there's some really great ideas here, but I think having seen the Dr. Light idea done bigger and better elsewhere, you know, it just highlights the problems with this even further. So it, it's not a complete disaster, but good grief, it could have been so much better. Yeah. I'm going to land right there with you guys, uh, more so with Matthew, but um, I think I'm going to go with a two out of five members of Linda on this one. And that's only because of spoiled potential. I think I really like a lot of the stuff going on in this episode and it just doesn't pull it off. It's such a great idea that doesn't land. It's got a monster slash alien. That's wholly inappropriate for the show. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I really wanted to like it based on liking the general premise, even liking the main, the new characters that were given. And, um, it's just, uh, doesn't land it. It's, uh, up, no fault of you know the blue Peter, blue Peter contest winner, but the absorbable off is going to go down in history as probably essentially one of the worst uh, 
Doctor Who monsters. So I feel a little bad for the kid who's probably now nearing adulthood. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is, uh, you know, that I guess he was um, nine or something. So yeah. Was... So yeah, he's definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's in his yeah in his twenties. Be now, in his twenties. So. Yeah, I feel like he was interviewed not that long ago for Doctor Who magazine or something yeah, as well. Yeah. So, Hopefully he's taking it in stride. Obviously not his fault. And it was a cool experience, yeah. I'm sure. So, yeah. But you know, uh, I'm thinking about it now and I feel like the fifth doctor summed it up best in, in Warriors of the Deep. There should have been another way. <laughs> <laughs> we will leave it there. No, yes. course, now you uh, just reminded me of the Merca. Speaking of bad monsters. <laughs> <laughs> At least the Merca was a good idea. Badly realized. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a totally different uh, different thing. Instead of a a decent monster, just totally misplaced. Like I guess I don't know. Yeah, we could talk but, about uh, it one day when the randomizer hits. Yes, it. that's right. That's right. So, uh, speaking of the randomizer, as we always do at this point of the show, let's go ahead and hit the, hit, hit the big red button on the randomizer and see what we have for you next time. Next time on the Police Box and the Junkyard podcast, we are going to be listening to the Big Finish production, The Blood of the Daleks. And we're going to go ahead and do parts one and two. And that is the debut uh, two-parter of the Big Finish Eighth Doctor Adventures. So when they broke the Eighth Doctor series off of their monthly range back in 2007, which is, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and do, those are episodes one and two, but because it's part of the same story, I figure we'll cover both of them. I don't want to do half of one story. It's no fun that way. So, um, so yeah, please, uh, consider tuning in and joining us. If you're in listening to blood of the Daleks and, uh, checking out what we make of that next time around. Um, as always want to thank Assad and Matthew for being with me tonight. And, um, uh, we will, uh, see you all next time. Oh yeah. Today's show was created with the help of, uh, Dr. Who the complete history volume 53 and the TARDIS data core, which I use pr pretty much for everything I'm doing Doctor Who research. Um, if you want uh, to have any feedback or thoughts about Love and Monsters or anything else that we cover on the podcast, please shoot us an email at policeboxpodcast at gmail.com or go ahead and join the official Facebook group, but just look for the Police Box of the Junkyard podcast on Facebook and uh, we should be able to find us there. Uh, get it in the conversation and um, appreciate you listening to the show. Um, as I said before, thank you guys. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Always a good time. It is. And I'm Miracle Branson, and uh, have a good evening. Night, night. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast, a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends. As always, sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger. Some of there's injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.